ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint with David Grubb. You know, sometimes you start the recording and uh, you expect to have a little time limit for a conversation and you get engaged and you just go on and on. And that's what happened here in my conversation with Ron Eggers. Ron and I have known each other for decades. Um, We love the NBA. And so uh, this conversation covers just about anything and everything. Uh, on the current basketball scene. I hope you enjoy it. Coming up, my conversation with NBA writer Ron Eggers, right here on Hard to Paint with David Grubb. Graduated from the MJs. Welcome back to Hard to Paint with David Grubb. I am joined now by my good friend, Ron Eggers, the 2019 fan-sided NBA Writer of the Year. He covers the Lakers for uh, Lake uh, for Lake Show Life and also the Phoenix Suns for Hoops Habit. He and I are absolute basketball junkies. We have been that way for as long as we've known each other. I like having him on in this format. We, I had him on the radio show frequently, but I like this one we ain't got to hold back. We ain't got no commercial breaks. It's just <laughs> straight, unfiltered basketball from me and my man. Ron, welcome to the show. Hey, man, thanks for having me on, man. I'm honored, man. Oh, uh, look, you know, every time we get together, it's a blessing. I love just uh, talking to you. Um, like, for people that don't know, we go back, like, now it's, what, 23 years? 23? Uh, 25, 23, 25 years, man. Mid-90s. Yes. So, yeah, so, I mean, it goes deep. So, I mean, this relationship, and it's weird because we both started off in TV on yeah. the production side, and then we both end up as NBA writers and multimedia people. And, like, we never really talked about this a bunch. You knew I was on the reporter track, but we really didn't spend a lot of time talking about writing. That was something we never really talked about. Yeah, but you know something that's the most uh, purest form of uh of media uh number one you got to create it's got to come from your mind it's, there's no um it's all on you it's not a team effort like it is in television yeah. you got to come up with uh with a concept in your mind uh make sure it hits the uh, hits your keyboard gets it on that wordpress or whatever um whatever type of uh computer system you use to uh, write on and you have to make it interesting you have to make it educational and you have to show the people, your audience, that you know what you're talking about. Because if you don't, if you if you sell ice cream dreams, you're not. They're not gonna. They'll they'll read it once, but they'll never come back. So if you know how to write and keep your audience, you're the best in the business. Let's talk about that real quick before we get into the NBA. Um, now they're more and more independent journalists because we've had the fracturing of big media. And a lot of us are stringers or we work, you know, freelance. We have to do multiple sites. We have to be on multiple platforms for those kids coming up now who want to get in this business. And I try to tell them the realities of it. A, if you think you're going to get rich coming out the gate, 
No, everybody's not going to ESPN from jump. It ain't happening. Like this is a grind and it is a harder grind now than it was five years ago. Like just, just what would you say about the change in this business over the last few years? Well, uh, especially now with all of us, and this is just not just children. This is us in general. Yeah. Uh, just better be a passion. You better be ready to work. You better be ready to sleep less. <laughs> Look, hey, if you cover the Lakers and you on the East Coast, guess what? You'll be up at 4 o'clock in the morning finish with a post-game report. Look for something that's, uh, that's going to stand out. Um, my post games, which kind of helped me uh, win Fan Saturday right of the year, was uh, the post game reports. They have highlights. Uh, I'm honest. I'll talk about anybody. I mean, you can't just say, hey, man, LeBron James is the best player in the world, or five reasons of what, why LeBron's size 17, uh, size 17s helps his game more than the size 16s. You can't do that. You're going to have to find a story, make it interesting, be right, and be ready to work. You're not going to make money. And I mean, we're not even talking about writing. We're talking about television. We're talking about radio. You're going to earn it. If you think you're going to be Adrian Wojnarowski, this just ends. He had been doing it for 20 to 25 years before he hit ESPN. If you think you're going to be Sham Sharanya, guess what? He's down with LeBron. Learn how to network. You better be ready to break, but you better know how to talk. You better know how to express yourself. You better be able to stand by the things you say because they're not going to like what you say, especially if you're talking against uh, uh, their favorite team. So, and if you're playing, and hey, I'm blessed. I write for the Lakers. I mean, they're easy to write for if you're talking about getting some exposure. But if you're writing for the Minnesota Timberwolves, if you're writing for the Phoenix Suns, if you're writing for the New York the Knicks, Pelicans. <laughs> or the, but the Pelicans has Zion now. Last yeah, year, you're absolutely yeah. right. It's been a grind over the years. It will be a grind, and guess what? You still have to bring in the audience because if you don't, you'll be around. You won't be around uh, very often. You remember that? Remember that old school uh, show on ESPN, Dream Job. Yes. Notice it got canceled because yep. it wasn't realistic. And that guy never made it. Remember, he got to ESPN for like a year. And they gave him a mm-hmm. one-year contract, and he didn't get renewed. Yeah, he, got ran, he basically got ran off. And so it's. I think people need to understand that that versatility is so important. And then that second part is, like you said, we've entered into this hot take era, and everybody wants to be the next Skip Bayless. Everybody, But they don't understand again. Skip was an actual beat writer. Skip was an actual columnist for 30 years covering some of the biggest teams in history, the, the 90s Cowboys. Skip was there for that. For the 80s and the Big 12, the, the Big 8 at the time, he was there for that. The SMU scandal, he covered that. So when you have that background in journalism, which is what this really should be, because we get a lot of people who come in and say, well, I love sports and I want to be uh, in the sports business. This is not the sports business. This is journalism. And sports yes. just happens to be the column that you you fell into. So like you said, crafting a story when you're in the middle of, I, you know, Pelican started six and 22, six and 22, 13 mm-hmm. game losing streak. When you're sitting in a 13 game losing streak, 
that tests your creativity because you can't yes. write. We lost again tonight because there's only so many ways to write. We lost this game again. You got to find mm-hmm. a different angle for every one of those 13 games. And also, you better have an identity. I mean, a lot of people talk about Stephen A. Smith saying, calling him Screaming A. Smith. That's Stephen A. Smith. He's the, he does When he says something, he believes it, and he does not care what you think. If he's done the research and he's come, um, come to this conclusion, that's what he's going to say, and he doesn't care what you think. Because it's his truth, and that's one thing that I had to had to um had to talk about with my people. Because LeBron James did not play well last year, uh, he did not defend very well. Um, he sulked all year. He was a terrible leader, and I called him out on it. And some asked, oh, "Are you sure you were going to be able to do this?" And I said, "You know something? If I can't say what I want to say, which I'm going to do." And I'll go to a comment section and check anybody that tries to insult my work. If I can't do that, I might as well go back to television because there's no way in the world people are going to take advantage or are going to listen to a guy just like Kevin Durant said last year, being a fanboy. Because I believe that journalism is coming back. This hot take thing is not going to last very long. The Skip Bayless uh, thing that we talk about, always constantly going at LeBron. That's going to get old. Jason Whitlock eventually leaving Fox Sports is showing a sign of the times. You're going to have to be able to find a story, tell the truth, and actually find something that a caveat of information that ESPN does not have, the athletic doesn't have, or Yahoo Sports, the major um, the major competition that we all have. We're all competing against each other. So you, instead of the p- people saying, now nah, I saw something on social media about uh, being a blog writer. No, you're a writer. <laughs> if you touch a keyboard and it goes to your computer screen and you post it on the internet, you're an NBA writer. Your platform may be smaller, but you're an NBA writer. And some of the biggest NBA writers in the world aren't that good. <laughs> There have been times that I've actually been on the internet, read somebody's article, and had to DM him and say, hey, man, there's a, a mistake on your article. Thanks, Ron, and then go from there. So we're all human beings. We put on put our pants on one leg at a time. Same thing. Believe in what you say, have an identity, and give something to, uh, to the reader. That's actually interesting. And part of that, too, in crafting my identity as a writer was having favorite writers. You know, like I had to read a lot of Howard Bryant. I had to read a lot of Ralph Wiley. I had to read a lot of William Roden to see what I was and what I was not. And even amongst, you know, regular writers, you know, people that I I enjoy reading in the mainstream, too, that helped me because I did not want to be an imitator. And television, that's when I started, I know I was an imitator because you feel like, well, I have to take on this persona, this voice in order to be accepted. But like you said, finding your individual identity and your voice and being confident in it, no matter how it comes out, as long as you are expressing yourself clearly and are yourself, people can smell authenticity from a mile away and they can smell bullshit from even farther away. And I'll tell you something else too. Uh, The main thing here is you have to have confidence in you do have to have authenticity, as you said, because if you're going to write the same thing as Bleacher Report, why do they need to come to you? You can go to Bleacher Report. 
if you're imitating ESPN, you might as well just go to ESPN. My post games are just different. I realized something. And you know something? A lot of people don't like doing post game reports. They just mm-hmm. don't. Because guess what? When the game's games over, they want to go to bed. They don't want to uh, put, put information together and get something out the next day. But me, I said, okay, this is my way to get in where I fit in. Started doing them. And then they started to pick up um they started to pick up steam. And another thing that we talked we didn't talk about is being accessible and having your audience find you, which means you need to be consistent. They have to be up after every game. They have if they're at a certain level and you start your level high, you have to be at that high level every single every single game, every single night. You have to bring it just like those NBA players. If you don't, guess what? Your audience is gonna read through it. They're, no, they're going to know you're not consistent, and they're not going to follow you. We see too much of how do you feel about this loss? Um, what was the turning point in the game? Those standard boilerplate questions. But when you nail in the second quarter, about five minutes remaining, you caught the ball on the block, somebody cut, you missed that pass. What did you see? A player is now saying, you're paying attention. And they're going to watch the, the next time you come in and you ask a question. They're looking at your questions more than so than they are the guy who they know every day is going to say, how'd you feel about this tonight? They don't want to deal with that every night. Mm-hmm. And I'll say one thing else, too. Don't be a fanboy and stand by what you say, but always assume people are reading. Mm-hmm. I don't care how small your platform is, because... Isaiah Thomas of the Bad Boys has read a, read an article of mine. Uh, Jamal Crawford has read it has, and liked. Yep. Uh, Kendrick Perkins followed me based on a article I said about Dwight Howard before he got signed. I just believed that Dwight Howard was a good t- was a good fit for the Los Angeles Lakers. I, w- I go to my Twitter feed and I see, hey, Kendrick Perkins is following me. So you never know who is why who is watching your work, who is following your work. If you're on LinkedIn, your companies, you don't know who. So do the best that you can. If you're chasing clout or you're trying to be Wojnarowski inside of a week, this is not for you, period. In other words, I knew going in, I knew going in when I got started, it was going to be at least two years before anybody even took a look at me. I was blessed that I that I actually won, won a, a company award out of this, but I also knew based on the work that I did, the engagement with the fans, which I do, that this is part of the work that I put in to win award 2019 Fansided Writer of the Year. That's just the way it is. I changed the game of how Fansided does their work. I won't just put up a hot take to irritate the fans and then disappear. Like if they answer me, if they if they comment, I won't answer you. They know me as the guy that will answer a question in a heartbeat. I will tell anybody what I think, why I think it, and I will get video to illustrate what I say. So if you come down there saying you don't know what you're talking about, you're going to get your feelings hurt. But that's the identity that I have. And those teams know that as well. So if they see video of somebody missing a back cut or missing a block, and below that you see it in bullet point presentations of what they did, they're going to take you very, very seriously. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get into the to the to the on court stuff, and we'll start with the teams you cover. The Lakers have undergone a lot of changes since we saw them last. 
Avery Bradley decided that he couldn't participate because of his social convictions. You get Rajon Rondo breaks his thumb. He's going to be going four to six. Ball handling is now a concern for the Lakers. Um, how much do you think this impacts them? And especially LeBron James and the weight that he's going to have to carry. And also Anthony Davis, who when LeBron goes to the bench, is really reliant on other people to get him the ball in scoring position. Well, uh, with Rajon Rondo uh, breaking his thumb, let's be clear. I don't think that would have been a bit was going to be a big deal. I think the Avery Bradley thing uh, is more of a problem for the Los Angeles Lakers than Rondo because he defends the ball and the game slows down in the playoffs. So he's a great on the ball defender, which slows down the offense, which slow, which makes sure um, that the opposing offense takes a little bit longer to get in the offense, breaks their offensive rhythm. He is their best uh, on ball defender. They're going to need defense later on and later on in the uh, postseason. Uh, Rajon Rondo, I had problems with him, and I actually wrote an article saying that, hey, you know something, if he plays longer than 20 minutes on average, the Lakers wouldn't get past the second round. Laker fans went absolutely nuts over it. Um, I think it's a situation of LeBron James was going to handle the ball anyway. He was the point guard. He would play 42 minutes anyway. The situation with the Lakers is – LeBron James cannot be the best player on the floor for the Lakers for them to make it to the NBA Finals. It has to be Anthony Davis. He's going to have to raise his level of play. It can't be just empty numbers. He is going to be defensive player of the year. He has done a great job um, putting up numbers. But he's going to have to impose his will on the uh, on the series, game to game. He's going to have to be that guy to get that ball and dominate down low for the Lakers to be um, championship contenders. That ain't him, though. Now, I, I mean, I've seen AD for six years. You watched him this year. That's physicality is not his thing. And um, and I just wonder, too, you know, you saw the there's a tremendous drop-off. And we know with LeBron giving him three months, he's going to probably say, I'm gonna play, I'll play 48 if I got to. Maybe not during this eight out of 14 stretch because the Lakers really don't have a lot to lose as far as the standings go. But when they get to the playoffs, I wouldn't be surprised to see LeBron play 40 plus minutes a night. AD can't do that. The physical wear and tear on him is just not, he's not suited to play 40 minutes a night. And he's also gotten, and you've seen this over the 50 plus games you've seen him. He's not a guy with a lot of post up moves. He tends to do two things in the post fade away or jump hook. That's it. I will say this, though. I will say this. Uh, with Phil Handy in the fold, they are uh, going to the post more. They're working on their post moves more. I think uh, people think LeBron James doesn't have post moves. He has a ton of post moves. No, he just does not use them. He has a he has a he has a quite a cachet of um of post moves, drop steps hook shots, everything to fade away. He has them. He just He's not willing to do that. What people don't forget last year, they say, oh, well, the Lakers didn't play well and whatnot. He was, he was, he was hurt and everything, and uh, the team was built wrong. The team was built on the premise that he would go down in the post. Yep. This was something that they carried, they carried our conversation in the summer on, him and Magic Johnson. Yep. We'll take the ball out of your hands. You'll have more time to uh, rest. Don't worry about uh, getting everybody involved. 20 games in, 
yeah, that's Lonzo's job. 20 games in, he takes the ball over again, goes back to the normal, goes back to his normal ways of doing doing things. The uh, roster was, as we could see, the beam team didn't look well. It looked like a bunch of mistakes. But it was based on a premise that he would be in the post. Phil Handy is probably going to make sure that he he's in the he's actually in the post more. And nobody can stop LeBron James in the post. It's amazing how much he bails people out doing that side step three from the left wing. It just drives me nuts. I can actually tell you when if the Lakers are behind or they have no chance of winning, I know when I need to um, start getting ready for the post-game report is when he does that side step from 30 feet going to his left. Guaranteed, game's over if he does that. He bails people out so much. Plus, he does need to work on different um, variations of his post moves. If he goes to his right, you know he's going for the layup. If he goes to his left, you know he's going to do a pull-up or a jumper or he's going to do a fadeaway on the left side off the bank shot. So if they're, if Phil Handy is working on that, which I've seen videos that they have, they'll be okay. But he has got to be in the post more for the Lakers to be successful. The best stretch of LeBron's career, in my mind, was with his time in Miami. And he spent he ended up being the guy who spent the majority of his time on the block. Chris Bosh ended up beyond the three-point line. And LeBron had the best shooting of his career during that four-year stretch because he was taking the vast majority of his shots within 10 feet of the rim. He killed well, that's like he said. He had the Miami Mafia. Yeah. Pat Riley tells you, you're going to get in the post. You're going to get in the post. We're going to take a quick break right here, and when we come back, we'll talk about another player the Lakers need to play in the post, Anthony Davis, and his reluctance to go get on the block. More on Hard in the Paint in just a sec. Like, I love JaVale McGee to death, but it's going to be 10 to 15 minutes for him. If Dwight Howard gets in, tr- gets in foul trouble, guess what? He's going to be playing the five. Marquise Morris, their, their addition that everybody seems to think he's going to be the guy. Yeah, okay, whatever. He's not played well since he left Detroit. So he's going to be playing some five. And he and he and in the press conference, he said the same thing at the beginning of the season. I'll play five if I have to. But if you believe that, I got statue, I got a Magic Johnson statue, Shaq, uh, Kareem statues that I can sell to the to the listeners of this podcast. Five hundred thousand dollars a piece, man. You can get them now. You can get two for two hundred fifty thousand right now. If you believe that man is going to play the five long term through the playoffs, but he needs to get over it because to be totally honest with you, LeBron cannot be the best player on the floor because if that's the case, it's Cleveland Cavaliers West again. Mm-hmm. Because they they have no they don't they don't fear LeBron. They have no problems with letting LeBron get a 24, 15, and 12 triple double. That's not that's not gonna equate the wins. Anthony Davis has got to get 35, 17. He's gotta be dominant. He's gotta be the best player on the floor, period. If he's the second best player on the floor, the Lakers are going to lose late in the um postseason. There's gonna be a lot of changes in the Western Conference before we get to the postseason without a a true home court advantage for anybody, without 
um, some of the players that we see missing, matchups become so much more important in this postseason because this is going to be the closest one I could talk, equate it to is the 99 postseason when we had to sprint for 50 games. The Knicks mm-hmm. were the eighth seed, knocked off the, the Hawks in the first round. You saw upsets left and right, Spurs, Knicks finals. You can really imagine that, that teams, mm-hmm. the Lakers to me are no longer a prohibitive favorite like they were going into the home stretch where we were when we uh, interrupted the season. Right now, if anybody tells you who is going to win the NBA Finals based on this situation with COVID-19, their credibility needs to be put into question because they don't know. We do not know. We are giving opinions because COVID-19 is a definite factor in this. Let's just say LeBron, let's just say and hope it doesn't happen, but it's a possibility if LeBron James catches COVID-19. He's out in quarantine for 14 days. A series lasts about 10 days. That's a that's a playoff series. Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard. I, and if he's listening to this, please put the mask on. Because his PR, his PR uh, nightmare is just starting. He is really putting himself back in that light of 2013 when it comes to Laker fans when they couldn't stand him saying, I don't believe in vaccines and all this stuff. I don't want to wear I don't wear a mask because I was alone and stuff like that. Put a mask on, bro. Please. But the Lakers, their bench, their bench is um is not as strong as people think. Um, I'm still trying to figure out, and maybe you know more than I do, about Deion Waiters. For some reason, they got this guy as the next Vinnie Johnson microwave for the Detroit Pistons when the man played three games this season. Three. And he had three suspensions. He goes to a yacht, causing sick, and everybody know the rules. This is just, and this is just, we've all been in the workforce, all of us. When you call sick, you don't want to get seen by anybody. Nobody. Nobody. You stay home. You don't go to the mall. You don't go to the club. You don't do none of that. You stay at home, and you rest, and you stay out of the, you stay in the cut. You don't go to the yacht. If somebody out in Miami, come see me. I ain't going to see you. Yeah. And then you go post your day on on Instagram, like dude. But this is the guy that they signed. And Jr. And, and Jr. Look, I will tell y'all this right now. I don't know if Jr. Is, Smith is going to get those minutes, but he deserves them because right now it's all hands on deck with players that LeBron is comfortable with. One thing about Jr. Smith. He needs to cut that IG live off. I, I get that. Don't be saying stay woke and complaining about the food. But you put him on the floor, that man is not scared to shoot the basketball. Kyle Kuzma, we don't know what he's going to do in the playoffs. He's never been there. Deion Waiters hasn't been there in years, and even then he was there with the Thunder. He wasn't there. He didn't play very much. You're going to need hardened veterans that will that is not scared to shoot the ball in crunch time. This is why Listen, Smith is not that dude. No. This is why I was surprised that they didn't go after Jamal Crawford, who was sitting there available, handles the ball, can get to the basket, can shoot the ball, 
His last game in the NBA, he put up 50. You know he's coming in in shape. Jamal Crawford ain't never been a locker room problem. People love him. Players love him. Coaches love him. I didn't understand a lot of Lakers who certainly would have had first dibs. This dude who played, you know, briefly in L.A. He knows what that environment is like. I didn't understand why they didn't go after him. And you allow him to go play for Brooklyn when they ain't gonna make they ain't gonna make no noise. Brooklyn has lost. They're making no noise in the postseason. You could have had a legit guy who you know can drop twenty and is also no, he's not the greatest defender. But neither is Deion Waiters for all that matter. Like you said, neither is Deion. And I would much rather have the ball in Jamal Crawford's hands than Deion Waiters to make a decision. And here's where people are missing something. I want people to really think about this for a second. Deion Waiters was in Miami, right? He was behind. He couldn't beat out three rookies. None. Could not be. He was not going to get any run. The three games that he played was to be showcased for a trade. The reason he acted out was because he did not get a starting spot. If he does not get any run or he gets a DNIP CD, you know how to, you get them a, you, get, you get them collection of DNIP CDs for yep. your collection. Like Columbia House. Yes. <laughs> ten, for, ten CDs for, for a penny. How is he going to act? You know what I'm saying? How is he going to deal with this? Davis Caldwell Pope is going to be your starter, and he needs to be. Everybody loves Alex Caruso, so he's going to start. J.R. Smith is look. He has been in the finals. He's been in the NBA finals, and if he gets hot, you can forget it. He can give you fifty-two. So, how is he going to deal with that? How is he going to deal with that with Jamal Crawford? And I begged the Lakers two years in a row. Yep. Please sign this guy. He's a great locker room. The Brooklyn Nets love him. The NBA players, he is a, he is a great he is a great role model for the players in the bubble now. The man just loves to play basketball. And you knew Jamal Crawford would accept his role. You knew he was going to get the players ready if he wanted to be the scout team or whatever. He, that's what he was going to do. He just wanted to be in the league. But right now, and and right now, I'm gonna tell you something else too. Jamal Crawford's gonna give them twenty, uh, give Brooklyn Nets uh twenty to twenty five a few times this season as well because they have no scoring at all. When they signed Michael Beasley, but he got COVID nineteen and then he uh he had to leave and they're not gonna sign him now. But the fact that they signed Co- signed Michael Beasley and he had to he has to sit out um five games if he gets picked up for uh. For uh, drug uh, issues, he had five. He had five games. Five games to, for suspensions. Yeah, you knew the Nets team could not score a basket, and they need people to to put up buckets. It's Karis LeVert and Jamal Crawford, and that's, that's it. it. That's it. Because Spencer Dunwiddie, yes, I like him a lot as a player, but he's going to have to take on the distribution responsibilities. Because you don't have any other point guards on that roster who can run that offense. This Jesse not going to play. Dinwiddie yeah. may not play. So if Dinwiddie's <laughs> out, Kyrie's out, Durant's out. Uh-huh. Again, for the East, you look at it. When we go over to the Eastern Conference, I think the team that gained the most is Philly. Philly picks up the most because they figured out Ben Simmons ain't no point guard. We're moving him to the post. 
as a four where he can take advantage of his physicality, put a point guard up top. Now you force Ben, which I think is to his to his betterment, because him on the perimeter, he's a non-threat. But now you put him in the 10 to 15 foot range. You can extend Embiid out and put Simmons on the block. I think it also keeps Embiid from floating out to three-point range as often. And that, to me, is the key for the Sixers. Like you said, if, if Embiid is hanging out at the three-point line, this, I, I'm glad if I'm, if I'm coaching the other team. I'm, I'm ecstatic if he thinks he's going to shoot jumpers tonight. Because, to me, that's been the Sixers' biggest downfall is the fact that those two have never figured out their chemistry. But I think at the 4-5 as a pairing is much better for them than Simmons at the 1 and Embiid at the 5. Uh, maybe. Because there's a couple things that we got to look at right here. Number one, Shake Milton, is he the guy that's going to be able to run the point? That's number one. I think this is a desperate move by Brett, Brett Brown. If the, if the Sixers get knocked out in the second round, this year, I think he's going to be fired. They're going to, I think, Philly to get to the next level. They're going to need a coach to sit Ben Simmons down and Joel and B down and say, "This is what we're trying to to do," and challenge these guys to say, "Okay, you got your money. Uh, you're both stars. You're both well known in the league. Do you want to win or not?" Are you willing to sacrifice your games for the betterment of the team, both sides? Ben Simmons, are you willing to shoot the basketball? Are you willing to work on it? Are you willing to be a guy that works on your game, or are you a guy that shoots a fadeaway three-pointer and then posts it on Instagram or throw it out on Twitter so everybody can notice that you're actually working on your jump shot and go, oh, man, he might hit a three-point shot this year? Or even better yet for Ben Simmons, have enough confidence in your game that you don't have to listen to the um, noise of you got to knock down a three-point shot like Steph Curry or Klay Thompson. Play to your strengths. But this sounds good on paper mm-hmm. with Ben Simmons uh, playing the four and, and Joel Embiid playing the five, but have they bought into it? When the season starts, when things start to go bad and they start falling behind or they're down 1-0 in a playoff series, will things go back to the same to the same old same old? So with Philly, they have all the talent in the world to get to the finals, but I don't think they like each other or willing to sacrifice their games for each other, like a Boston Celtics, for example. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, uh, Kimball Walker. Those guys are willing to pass the ball to the hot guy or willing to, to know who's hot that night or who needs the ball in the right uh, at the right uh, time in specific situation. The Philadelphia 76ers, they're just not that team right now, and they still need shooting. They're going to miss J.J. Riddick a lot more than people realize when the postseason starts. People forgot how good Riddick was for them last year. Yes. He had his best scoring season of his career. He shot a career high in three-point percentage last season for Philly. Letting him go, losing Jimmy Butler, I think it did say a lot about the culture in Philly in that regard. Because knowing Ben Simmons since I saw him at LSU, he was not a leader at LSU. He did not like contact when he was at LSU. Wasn't a great rebounder, wasn't very physical on the post. Liked to stand up and view the court. 
We see that same kind of tendency in Philly. He has not taken over as the leader of that team. With Joel Embiid, my biggest problem with him is he has not been in shape one season since he got into the NBA. He is the roundest, softest. Like, people talk about Nikola Jokic. Jokic is yeah. just a big dude. Mm-hmm. Embiid does, is not in shape. I mean, it's clear that he is not in shape. And you can, and the, what's so frustrating, and Shaq and Charles Barkley talk, called him out on inside the NBA uh, at times uh, over the last couple of years, you got to dominate. And if you're going to run your mouth, that's the big thing with me. If you're going to run your mouth and say, I'm the best, I'm going to dominate, and I, that's fine. Go out and do it. And more importantly, let other people say that, not you. And you talk about Nikola Jokic, he done lost weight. Yep. Now, let me tell you something. You talk about some sleeper teams, the Denver Nuggets, they could be a problem because if Jokic is in shape, the way he plays, because Embiid and Jokic are basically the same player in a sense. They just have an understanding of the game. They can just they see the game two or three steps ahead of everybody else. They can make they can hit those cutters going to the basket. They can rebound, they can shoot, they can do it all. But with Jokic, he plays within the concept of the team. Joel Embiid still is chasing star, being a star, mm-hmm. being known, uh, the beast with Carl uh, Anthony Towns. He gets distracted at times, and then when the people call him out, he tends to get upset. He tends to sulk. And you talk about all the injuries that he has, it's because he's out of shape. Mm-hmm. He's not been in shape one season. Not one season. He's missed games every season. He is, and again, with players... I am very leery of players with feet problems and with back problems. And uh-huh. so I am I am not of the mindset that Joel Embiid is gonna be around when he's 35 years old. Not as a you know, not as a still as a force. He could be a, a player, but I just don't think his body is gonna hold up long enough for him to get to that stage. And what I really don't like is how do you allow when you're Joel Embiid 7'2, 285, how do you allow Giannis Antetokounmpo to be the most devastating interior scorer in the league when you have all the tools that Embiid has, the, the, the footwork, the strength, the length, all the things he has. Mm-hmm. And I don't think most big men are scared of him on the interior. He's going to get his because he's going to get shots. But he doesn't have those nights where he's 20 of 25. He ain't, When was the last time he had one of those, you know, even Boogie, when Boogie was healthy, Boogie will drop a 40-29 night on you. With regularity, Boogie could put up those numbers. You don't see those kind of numbers out of Embiid because it seems like, he, like you said, he's still searching rather for consistency and greatness. He wants the acceptance as a star. And that shit don't matter. It don't come. That's why I look, when you look at Giannis, to me, is the dude ain't said nothing. Kawhi ain't said nothing in eight years. Kawhi's just turning 30. Like, people have to understand it. He's just now. And it seemed like Kawhi been around forever. He ain't said nothing. And he has, And does anybody is anybody more respected as a player than Kawhi? Is anybody more respected than Giannis? And they ain't had to talk a word. They just got better and better and better. Hard work beats talent all, all the time. I mean, when Giannis gets it, when Giannis gets a jump shot 15 to 7 feet with, if 17 feet with any level of consistent, let it be halfway consistent, it's over. And let me tell you something, 
the worst thing that happened is that the Bucks lost last year. After that MVP season, he worked even harder and worked on his weaknesses. And this was a skinny dude coming in the league. That's when people need to realize something. Pay attention to their rookie year, the way their body is uh, built, and how it grow, how it grows and is built over their career. Yeah, he's chiseled. That is a man. Giannis was my size when he came in the league. Dude was thin. Dude could have worked part time in a science in a science classroom in elementary school. Now, that's Mister Universe style right now. And people are afraid of him because what he's trying to do is dunk the ball, and if you and if you jump with him, you're going in the rim with him. He goes in there with bad intentions. He's always in a bad mood when he wants to score the basketball, and that strikes fear. You know he's coming every single time he gets the ball, and he's working on his weaknesses at all times. With Joel Embiid, he just does not, and that's a pro- and that's just a real problem. And with and with Kawhi Leonard, notice with the Clippers, they're just quiet. All they're just all we need is to get everybody healthy. Let's get Paul George and his shoulders healthy. Let's make sure that Kawhi Leonard is ready to go. Everybody talk about this load management. Guess what? Those players are not going to be load managing in the playoffs. Right. They gonna get their forty minutes then. <laughs> They got a bench. They got Montrez Harrell, Lou Williams, those guys. They're not going to be load managing. They're putting their stuff together. They've already got their defensive schemes down. The last eight games, they're going to work on their offense. But those guys work hard. And the guys that work hard, and, the NBA, and they got that reputation. Pat, Patrick Beverly, too, you may hate him. If you, if you, if you got to play against him, you're going to want to fight him. But that's that dude you want on your team when he gets down to the last five minutes of game seven of an NBA finals, because you know he's going to defend and he's going to defend hard. You just want players that play hard and want to win. A lot of people say they want to win because it sounds nice and it's very, um, it's very polite and it's a nice thing to say, but very few in the NBA is willing to work hard day in and day out to want to win. Yeah. I think people don't understand that. It's like any other job when you go to work, in your office, there are people who are there to be the best at what they do. And if there are people who say, I like this job, I'm cool with it, I'm going to show up and do what I got to do and go home. And, and that's there's no difference with that. People think athletes are all wired differently. No, some of them realized when they were kids, I'm real good at this. I can make some money possibly doing this. That would be great. And that's the limit. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to be a champion, if you like you said, if you run your mouth, and say, I'm the best, I'm going to be a champ, and you better put in the work to do it. And also with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, notice Ben Simmons is very, has been, uh, been in the lineup consistently. And when you're out, when Joel Embiid is in and out of the lineup and Ben Simmons is playing well or filling up the stat sheet and dominating in his absence because there's more lanes to get to the basket – more or driving lanes, there could be a level of resentment there. Now, that's just any player. I mean, Kobe and Shaq years ago, Shaq, everybody knew Shaq would take about 20, 30 games to get in shape. 
why Cobra Bryant put in the work in the offseason. There's a level of resentment if you're working hard at your game and you're holding down the fort and you're doing well and your star is rising and you're just in your importance to the team is just as much as the guy that's out, the supposed star that's out. And then all of a sudden, the star who's been uh, loafing it alone for about 25 or 30 games who have been out for a while comes back and says, I need my 25 to 30, stu- 30 touches. That's going to be a problem. So with Philly, there's, there's, it's going to be interesting with them. It's going to be feast of famine with them. Either they make it to the finals and everybody goes, hey, you know something? We, we're not shocked. We, we, we weren't shocked with the talent that they have. Or they're going to implode and be out in the second round or maybe even the first round. The bottom of the East is just so bad. That drop off from five to six, seven, eight. Because after you get, I mean, it's Milwaukee, Toronto, Boston, Miami, Philly, and then Indiana. I mean, but even Indiana right now, you'd have to say, man, that's going to be a struggle for them because I just think that they've had too much to overcome this season. I, I just don't see them being in that group of the top five. If they had been together the whole season with the talent that they have, I'd feel better. But it just feels like they have never gotten a real rhythm. Though I love Nate McMillan, and I think Nate gets is one of the underappreciated coaches in this league. Absolutely. Because he plays the game his way. They are not a team that just wants to shoot threes. They are not they are physical. They get in they get in you. And they play defense for 48 minutes, but they also kill on the glass. And they have players who can shoot. It's not like Sabonis can't shoot. It's not like Miles Turner can't shoot. It's not mm-hmm. like you can't get shooting from the holidays or from uh, uh, Hill. But it's just they play their way. And depending, again, matchups are the thing. If they get the right mm-hmm. matchup, they can mess somebody up. It's just I just I just have I worry about them because of the injuries. Uh, let's see. Um. It's going to be interesting to see if Oladipo play, Victor Oladipo plays. Uh, in the beginning, he said he wasn't going to play, but now he's seemingly changing his mind. But the thing is with the Indiana Pacers, and see, again, with this situation with the bubble, no home court advantage, and just the fact that the specter of the bubble breaking, that's a lot on players' minds. You can't play this game. You can't play this game. Uh, worrying and thinking about certain things. You just can't. We're not saying they're just human beings. But I will say this. If you play a certain scheme and all the players have bought into the to the scheme of Nate McMillan, which they have, yeah. if you can rebound, those guys rebound, they defend, and they are consistent. Consistency, especially this year, and getting hot at the, and hitting the big shot at the right time, they could upset a couple of people. Um, all Miami has to do is go cold. If Jimmy Butler just has an off night, it goes, it goes into a slump for a week, and Stars probably will have slumps this year because guess what? They had time off. Their rhythm their rhythm's not going to be there. So looking at what's going on, any of these teams that get in the playoffs have an opportunity to have, have an opportunity to make it to the finals. Now, look, we know we know the Orlando Magic ain't going nowhere. No. We know the Brooklyn Nets aren't going anywhere. Uh, love Jacques Vaughn, but uh, Kenny Atkinson was the coach for that team. He was the one that built that culture. I saw when they fired him, I pretty much wrote them off. 
I'm on the roof for them. It's three oh, yeah. dudes behind that. Come on, man. We that, already know that. That was the stars. That's Kyrie yeah, that's Durant and DeAndre did that to him. They killed yeah. that man's team. And that's that's the shame of it. A year ago, you uh, we would have said the Nets were a top three team this year without Durant, without yeah. Kyrie, without DeAndre Jordan. I would have put mm-hmm. them in the top three in the East because they were growing that way as a group. I think Jared Allen got screwed this year in his development, having to share time with DeAndre mm-hmm. Jordan. I think it hurt Karis LeVert in coming back. I think it hurt Joe um, uh, Harris because yep. I, he, he wasn't getting the same touches with Kyrie holding the ball as long as he does. I think it just it killed that chemistry because they were a lot like Toronto, Denver, Utah in that sense that we are a group. Ain't yep. nobody particular. There's a couple of us who could be all-stars or things like that, but we're a group and we come at you like that. And now it's become a personalities thing. Is it Kyrie's team? What happens when KD comes back? And DeAndre Jordan is just part of the crew because his best years are three, four years behind him. Mm -hmm. And you know something? And we talked about it on your radio show. I told you after the first night, the worst thing that happened to the Brooklyn Nets was when Kyrie Irving went for 50 on opening night. I knew it was nice. It was fun to watch. He was hot. If you, if you, It's great television. But I knew it would plant that seed of I can take over at any time. And if you're running the point, that is a problem. And Kyrie Irving, love him to death, but he's on a different mindset. And, the mind frame, and there's nothing wrong with that. But since he left Cleveland, it's just something off with him when it comes to the team concept. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I don't know if it's the the, the front office that he doesn't trust. Uh, David Griffin, the Pelicans got a great GM in uh, in um, David Griffin, great executive because he's a people person. Whatever he did to keep things calm behind the scenes when Cleveland was making their run is amazing and. and Kyrie Irving has missed that ever since. He goes to Boston. Danny Ainge cares about the Boston Celtics. He does not care about the players over the team and the franchise. Right. He'll let and anybody Brad, go at any time. And Brad Stevens and, ain't a joke either. He ain't no. Absolutely not. So he had that problem in Boston. Now his reputation is taking a hit. And you notice now he's turning himself into a coach killer. They don't talk about LeBron being a coach killer anymore. They're going to bring – Kyrie is taking his um, taking his role as a coach killer around the league. And bringing in Mark Jackson, let me tell you something. If they bring Mark Jackson in, I love him to death. Mama goes – there goes that man. Whatever. They're going to underachieve – as a franchise, and they're going to get caught up again with all of these contracts because Mark Jackson will not challenge his stars. There will be drama. People don't understand that Mark Jackson is a locker room lawyer, too. He is a dude that tries to get influence on certain people and not others. Mark Jackson, Jackson there's a reason that no Golden State Warriors are out here campaigning for Mark Jackson to get a job. Have you seen Mm. anybody from that team over the last four years say, when is Mark going to get another job? Nope. Not one. 
Not Steph Curry, not Klay Thompson, not Andre Iguodala did. Iguodala said something after he was out of the league. Yeah. You know, for that, while he was on his hiatus with Memphis. Yeah, he was selling a book. He was selling yeah. a book at the time when he was right. talking about it. Talking about Mark Jackson was blackballed. Mark Jackson wasn't blackballed. What happened to Mark Jackson was of Mark Jackson's doing. When they yes. tell you when the, when the when the owner of a franchise says nobody in the building was sad to see Mark go, mm-hmm. that tells you <laughs> like you have. I mean, you cannot be a head coach of a franchise and have no friends in the building. And you can't get along with your you can't get along with your assistant coaches sending them to the to the to the D League at the time now G League. It was just it was just a mess. And when an owner now Joe Lacob is one of the best owners in sports, gives you a blank check and say, Go get the best assistant coaches you can find. And they say, Nah, nah, I'm good with what I have. And you're a six seed a seventh seed, eighth seed, or whatever the case may be, and you can't get into, you can't get far in the playoffs. That's a problem. The fact that you can't get an interview, forget, forget the fact you can't get a job. You can't get an interview, and the only people to think that you're good at that you're good enough to get a um to get a job is Jeff Van Gundy over the last four years. That is a major problem. When Ty Lue got fired from the Cleveland Cavaliers, man, LeBron was on. On Twitter, fifteen minutes later, saying we got your back. When Fizz got fired in Memphis oh and in New goodness. York, the whole league, all Woo. the players were like, "Fizz is the man. How is he not? How are y'all doing this to him? Why did the Knicks set him up? Why did Memphis cut him loose?" It it made no sense. Like, but nobody has come to Mark Jackson's defense, and you have to take Van Gundy with a ton of salt. Because they have a personal relationship, they yes. they have been coach and player, so it just doesn't. It, you can't take it like that. Let's let's quickly before I let you go because we pro, we just over an hour right now. But but quickly before I let you go, let's run through the awards. All right, I'm gonna get your opinion on these awards. I'm gonna give you some the front runners, and some of them are gonna be real easy. MVP is Giannis or LeBron. I say Giannis. I don't think the LeBron narrative of him being 36 matters. Giannis has been from end to end. The team has been the best in the league. They have the best offense in the league. They have the best defense in the league. And he's the linchpin. And he's just getting – he's better than he was last year. I think it's Giannis. Giannis, Giannis Antetokounmpo is your uh, MVP. Let's move on. Anybody else that says LeBron, sorry. He's a great – it's a great story. I can say he's been a better, he's been a better leader this year than he has probably in his career – Reinventing yourself as point guard is a wonderful thing, but he's not the best player on his team. They don't need him to be the best player on his team. And Giannis is just the best player on the best team. And the numbers he is pulling up, putting up right now is Wilt Chamberlain-like. If you don't know what Wilt Chamberlain is, please Google him, go to YouTube, learn something about that man. That's how dominant Giannis Antetokounmpo is. He's so good, I know how to I know how to pronounce his name. That ought to tell you how good this man is right now. It, it, and he's again, he's still twenty five. He's twenty five, dude. It's and he works. crazy. It's and he crazy. Works. The uh, just the upside. Rookie of the year, it's John Morant. We're done. We're yeah, done. Next, it's John. Yeah. Done. Six man: Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell, Lou Will, Derrick Rose. 
I think it's going to be Dennis Schroeder. I really think it's going to be Dennis Schroeder. The the sexy pick is going to be Lou Williams. They're going to try to slide that through, but that's a uh, that that's that's out of respect of Lou Williams because you know he's a walking bucket. But Dennis Schroeder has played so well on the Oklahoma City Thunder team, which has been an out and out shocker this year because they were supposed to be a lottery team as we speak, but they're now, uh, as we can see, uh, fifth fifth seed and can move up. And can move up. I mean, they can get they they can do some damage. He has done a great job uh, with Chris Paul backing up Chris Paul. Um, I'm thinking it's going to definitely be Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, it's either to me, it's either Schroeder or Harrell because I think Harrell is the guy who changes energy for um, for the Clippers so much, and he's at, at his position. I've watched him dominate bigger big men. And he, he, to me, he's not like a Kenneth Fareed where you think that there's a, a ceiling for him because Kenneth Fareed operated so much more on just intensity and athleticism. I loved mm-hmm. Kenneth Fareed, but I think there's a little bit more skill to Harold's game. Um, so I think it comes down between those two. I think it'll be a close vote. Um, but yeah, and again, I don't think anybody wants to play Oklahoma City because they mm-hmm. defend their asses off. You got Steven Adams in the middle who ain't scared to put you on your behind. Mm-hmm. Chris Paul is a dog. Yes. And Shea Gilgis Alexander grew up a ton this year. And, and then you put Danilo Gallinari, who can make shots. If he can stay court. on the floor. Yeah, He's he got to be able to stay on the floor. He always gets hurt. I don't know what it is. End of the season, he always finds himself on the injured list because you, you need shooters. And that guy can shoot. But he just gets hurt all the time. And he's, but he's a pure shooter, and and yes. put him on the floor. And people forget Oklahoma City shot the ball incredibly well this year. They were yes. very efficient up to this point. And so I think too, the teams that have the advantage in the bubble are the teams that come in playing defense because defense travels. Your yes. shot may not, but defense can be played every night. And so yeah, Oklahoma City is a problem because of that. All right, defensive player of the year. The, it's always going to come down first. Rudy Gobert is going to get mentioned every year, no matter what. Anthony Davis. Giannis, Pat Bev, Joel Embiid, and I throw Drew Holiday in. He's not going to win, but I, I throw him in because there is no more respected defender by other players night to night than Drew Holiday. I, you hear everybody. I've seen interviews with Jamal Crawford. I've seen interviews with Devin Booker. I've seen interviews. Every lead guard in this league, Damian Lillard, don't none of them want to face Drew Holiday. No, none of them. But I think the winner should be. I think it should be Giannis. And I'm going to say it like because this. The Lakers' defense is actually better when Anthony mm-hmm. Davis is off the floor. They have a better net rating and a better defensive rating where Anthony Davis is off. Yeah, he's got the block numbers and the steal numbers. But I still say this. Anthony Davis is not a true rim protector. He blocks shots off the weak side. And because mm-hmm. of his length, he does not deter people from coming into the paint. I will say this. Anthony Davis is going to be uh is going to be a defensive player of the year. Sorry, LeBron's not going to win MVP, but somebody on that Lakers roster is going to win an award, and it's going to be Anthony Davis. And just the fact that he's on the floor, and you combine him with Javale McGee and uh, Dwight Howard, and you can get them a double tip. The fact that they can um because you have to dunk the ball on the Lakers, you're not going to. You're just not going to go up there and try to lay the ball off because they'll pin it to the backboard. They, all of them chase down. They talk about LeBron James doing chase down blocks. All of them chase down blocks. 
But well, I would say Dwight has been a better front court defender than Anthony Davis. He just doesn't play the minutes. But Dwight having you know, I think Dwight was a bigger impact. Like you like you talked about this offseason that he would be a great fit for them. And defensively on it, when he comes in the game, that physicality that he brings, and like you said, he he still has the instincts to block anything around him. Mm-hmm. I, I just I just I like Dwight and I just I didn't see I don't know. I, I don't. Andy Davis has not played as good a defense as he played two years ago when the, when, the, when the Pelicans made the run to the to the second round. He's not played the last two seasons the defense that he played that season. Yeah, but I can say this though: the Lakers were about 27th, 28th in, in, in defensive net rating. They're inside the top five. I think they're number three right now. A lot of that is because of Anthony Davis. I love JaVale McGee, but he has a he has a shelf life. It, like you got about ten to fifteen minutes with him a game. Uh Dwight Howard plays 10, 15 minutes a game. Uh Anthony Davis is out there 35, 40 minutes a game. Plus, he has to score the basketball. And you know how the NBA works, you know the politics. He is definitely, definitely gonna win the defensive player of the year. It's just a sexy pick. All right. Um, most improved player comes down to three people. Brandon Ingram, Bam Adebayo, and Jason Tatum. I don't think Tatum gets it because he's, he's, a star. he's been good. He's been good. <laughs> he's I, I don't, and I don't like Adebayo getting it because of this. His minutes went up, and I don't think that that, you know, his minutes went up, but his numbers are not crazy insane. He's 16 and 10. Good numbers. Yeah. But he got more minutes because of Son Whiteside in there. Brandon Ingram, to me, reinvented himself as a basketball player. Added a three-point shot that we had never seen. That we had never seen. He was roughly making less than one three a game his first three seasons. Now he's a 40% three-point shooter. He was the lead scorer when the Pelicans had nothing. When Lonzo was still getting into shape, Favors' back was hurt. Drew Holiday was playing the worst basketball of his career for the first month and a half. Zion's gone. Mm -hmm. And what did Ingram do? He sets his career high three times in the first month of the season. He broke all his own single-game records for threes made, free throws Mm -hmm. made, rebounds in a game. Did them all in the first month of the season. Becomes an all-star. When Zion comes back, he's still putting up numbers that are Kevin Durant-like, putting up 24 Four assists, seven boards, shooting fifty, almost fifty percent from the field, and shooting almost forty percent from three. And this was a dude that was a career sixty percent free throw shooter, and now he's an eighty percent free throw shooter. Who improved more than Brandon Ingram from last year to this year? You know something? You make an outstanding argument. You should be a lawyer. And you go kill. Guess what? Bam Adebayo is going to be your most improved player of the year award. One, he's an all-star. You already said the stats 16 and 10, but he is on a winning team. Look, it's easy to score. It's easy, easily, easy to score on a bad team. He was looting in the ride for you for, for a long time while Zion was out and, and they had that tough stretch. Remember, they had a long losing streak. Bad out of bio is just played better. He's just he's he is he has fit into that culture. They're not going to. They're not going to. He's not going to get those uh, guarding numbers playing for the uh, for the Miami Heat. They don't have the uh, offense for him to get those type of numbers. That's one of those analytical type things that you go through. But he brings toughness. Like they are a better team defensively 
with Bam Adebayo than it was with Hassan Whiteside. It was easy to get rid of Hassan Whiteside because of the development of Adebayo. But Adebayo also walked into a situation where the pressure was not on him. There was no pressure on Bam to be an all-star this year. Ingram goes into a contract year with a new franchise, new coach, completely different situation. And over the last 36 games, who's been better as a, like the starting lineup of the Pelicans over the last 36 games was the best in the NBA, the absolute best. Defensively, the only team that was better than that starting five was the Bucks. The Pelicans were at a 91-9 on a defensive end. And, mm-hmm. you still, and to me, you just, just the thing with Adebayo is you walk in, you had none carry the, the heat for the first month when he's going off. You have Jimmy Butler, who's an all-star. Duncan Robinson has a legit case to say, I should be in consideration for most improved player. You also get Tyler Harrow had his moments when he was able to do a lot for that team. They had guys on a night-to-night basis who could do other things. And for a lot of stretch this season, everybody knew if Brandon didn't score, the Pelicans didn't have a chance. And he saw, and he had to play the four the th- and the three, got beat up playing the four, and was still putting up numbers. I just think from last year to this year, he changed himself. He changed himself. And that, to me, is part of that improvement. Like you said, adding skills in the offseason. And he did this again, not being able to pick up his arms to shoot a basketball until August. 28-36, New Orleans Pelicans, 41-24, Miami Heat. The Pelicans may not even make the playoffs. They got to work hard to get into the playoffs. Miami's going to be in the playoffs. You're not going to get an award if your team doesn't make the playoffs. But they said you know that's what based, I do. They said it was based on the, the uh, games that are already played. They ain't using these games as part of the, the thing. So, we'll, I mean, I, do you think it'll be close? At no. least do you think it'll be close? You don't think it'll be close? Nope. Bam out of bio. All right. Uh, two more. Coach of the year. Coach of the year. Frank Vogel, Nick Nurse, Budenholzer, and I put this guy as a, as a dark candidate, Billy Donovan. Yes, that's my pick. That is my pick. They're probably going to give it to. They're probably going to give it to those guys, Frank Vogel or Nick Nurse. They will probably give it to them. But who has done the best job? Period. Billy Donovan. He got Chris Paul to show up to work. And not look at his watch and and uh, wait on being traded. That alone should be celebrated. And this team is playing well. They're the fifth seed, and they could move up. They're two games out of the third slot. Billy Donovan. It's probably going to be Frank Vogel or Nick Nurse. I don't think Boone, but I think Boone Nozo won't won't repeat. But the best coach in the NBA right now is Billy Donovan. Him changing to the three-guard lineup and understanding that when they were like, we just don't have the size to do this on a perimeter, let's put our three best players on the wing, that adjustment, I think that was a bigger adjustment than the Rockets going totally small. I think it absolutely was. How many people thought they would even be in the playoffs? How many people thought they would go past the 13th seed right after Russell Westbrook was traded to the Houston, Houston Rockets? This was supposed to be a rebuilding year. That's what they were selling. This is a good team. 
Remember they were supposed to trade Stephen Adams. Remember they're supposed to trade Chris Paul. Chris Paul's supposed to go to Miami like the next week. And Gallinari's in the last year of his contract. He was trade bait for for yes. a good while. So all those guys at one point were mentioned as being out of here before the season even began. Yes. And they were talking about going rock bottom because of all the picks that Presti got, which leads you into an exec- executive of the year conversation. It's either Presti, Ujiri, or Griffin to me because Ujiri kept the, t- the Raptors in the top two, losing Kawhi. Presti did everything that he did with it, getting that haul from the Clippers and keeping that team again in the playoffs. Griffin getting what he got from the Lakers – developing ball, developing Ingram, developing heart into all guys who you would have as main rotation players. And ball now is in position to be a potential all-star. Griffin is, I mean, uh, you know, Ingram is already an all-star. I think he did a good job in that regard. I put him third, but I think Presti should be number one. I don't think you give credit to as much credit to the Lakers or Clippers because a lot of what they got, hold on, let me say, because they got theirs, because of the players as much as they did because of the front office. Because the players were in as much control of those situations as the front office. So that's the that's the my minus for them is because if Paul George doesn't tell Oklahoma City I'm leaving, then then Oklahoma City doesn't Sam Presti is not in a position to make the move that he made to keep that franchise going. If the Lakers if Anthony Davis doesn't tell the Pelicans I ain't coming back then David Griffin doesn't have to figure out how to navigate that deal with the Lakers, which basically puts them in control of the Lakers draft for the next seven years. So, I mean, I think that those are the two things that I would just take as minuses from the Lakers and the Clippers. You can FedEx that uh, that uh, award to Rob Palenka. Sorry. I understand the Anthony Davis thing. That was going to happen. We understand that. But with what salary cap room Palenka had to deal with, and the heat. There was no, there was a time this time last year. Everybody, and I mean everybody, myself included, thought this dude wasn't even qualified to run this team. Wasn't even qualified. Threw Magic Johnson on the bus. His reputation was in shambles. But this guy brings in Dwight Howard, takes a chance on him. Avery Bradley brought him in. Uh, Makes the tr- makes the uh, signing of Marquise Morris, which was an out and out shocker. Taking chances, and this is the number one seed in the Western Conference, second in the NBA, two games out from uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, rebuilds the culture, brings in Frank Vogel, who is the third guy on the list, but has probably the best assistant coach coaching lineup. In the NBA, I mean, it's it's, it's in LA. Is is either the Clippers or the Lakers? Period. There's no way around. Bringing in Lionel Hollins, bringing in Phil Handy, who is the best assistant coach in the NBA, bar none. Making sure Jason Kidd is not a distraction, because there were there were there was an over and under uh, when uh, Frank Vogel was going to get fired, and Jason Kidd uh, sticks his foot in the door to take over for the Lakers by by the All Star break. Yep. So they're going to FedEx Rob Palenka, the executive, the year award. Trust me. <laughs> All right, let's see. I mean, I think the Clippers, out of those two, the Clippers still have a chance, too, because of the, they made some steals, too, mm-hmm. in filling out that roster. They made some steals because, I mean, they gave away the core of that team. You, made, you know, you gave away a lot of talent 
to get back, yes, Kawhi is a free agent, to get Paul George, but filling out their bench, like you said, uh, it, that was really, they had a little bit more success than the Lakers in filling out their bench because the Lakers took some risks. DeMarcus Cousins didn't pan out. Rajon Rondo's been a disappointment in each of the last two, I mean, it, 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 a disappointment this season. He hasn't, this defense in particular is just as bad as it's ever been in his career, and it's just his shooting is still Rondo shooting. Uh, so the Lakers had some struggles in getting bench players and in getting guys who could handle the ball. Uh, but I, I see your point, and the Lakers definitely are going to be up there. I just think there are some good stories, and it, it, that will probably be a very tight race too, though. I think it will be a tight race because Sam Presley does have a lot of respect in this league. Ujiri does have a lot of respect in this league. And I think that it won't be a runaway no matter what. I think the coach of the year, I think the executive of the year, um, will probably be the two tightest of all of all the awards because I think the player ones are like we as we've gone through a lot more clear cut. And agreed, uh, Sam. Pre- if if Palinka doesn't win it, which I believe he will, Sam Presti pretty much put the Oklahoma City Thunder, especially with all the financial ramifications of uh, COVID nineteen, which you know the uh, the salary cap is going to bungee jump. All the way to China, down. I mean, to the core of the earth. After this, after this, with all the money that's lost, the Thunder is in the best uh, financial position to improve uh, for the rest of this decade. I mean, the Lakers have to win now. I mean, that's just the way it is. The Clippers have to win now. They got a two-year window as well. The Thunder could pretty much, if they can hang on to their players, because they looked, they built a team before with James Harden, uh, Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and they blew that opportunity. Serge Ibaka, they blew that opportunity. But they have, they're in the perfect position to make the transition from this roster and still be able to develop the draft picks that they have or even trade for a star. They have so many options going forward for the next two, three, four years. Sam Presti is really, like I said before, has done the best job. He may not win the award, but he has done the best job this season. One last team I think we neglected and I want to talk about, though, Portland. Portland gets Damian Lillard back. They get Yusuf Nurkic back. They get Zach Collins back. Melo come back looking in great shape. Yep. And you get to move him back to a six-man role. That team could be dangerous if they if they get into that eight nine playoff with Memphis, with Memphis. I'd give them a good chance to beat Memphis, and I certainly think that that matchup wise with the Lakers would be something very frustrating for the Lakers to deal with in McCollum and Lillard in that backcourt, considering the injuries that the Lakers have in the backcourt or the guys missing, like you said with Avery Bradley, to have to put Jr. Or Dion Waiters, or mm-hmm. I mean, you have Danny Green, but Danny is not necessarily as quick, certainly as a Damian Lillard. And Lillard, we know, will shoot it from any distance. Yeah. McCullum is a guy who's gonna run off screens over and over again. Portland is a is a dark horse too. If they get in as the eight, they can give the Lakers a problem in the first round. There, I uh, there was a piece. Uh, there's five reasons. Five good reasons, because Charles Barkley uh, said on Inside the NBA last week that uh, if they get in, because they have to get in first, let's be clear, they still have to get in. But if they get in, they can beat the Los Angeles Lakers. They can upset them. Because Damian Lillard, 
destroys the Lakers every single time that man plays, sets steps on the floor with them. Now, we all remember when Kobe passed and uh, they uh, had to come back. Their first game back was against Portland. 48 points and went absolutely nuts in the second half. And, and I mean, had the Staples Center, Center buzzing. Had a buzz, had the Staples Center buzzing off the shooting because he was pulling from the hash. I mean, they called him Logo Lillard for a reason. C.J. McCollum can play. He's one of those dudes that's unassuming, looks like he's just an average player, but at the end, at the end of the game, you see he has about 35 points, five assists, seven rebounds, and playing in a couple of assists. He can fill up the stat sheet. But bringing back Nurkic, Zach Collins is a very uh, skilled player. Stretches and Hassan Whiteside is in a contract year. Now, we know Whiteside is very, very lazy player for the majority of his career in that $100 million contract. But, but let's go back to when he did not have that $100 million contract. He was a dominant player. He was He's a dominant rim protector. He's been this year. His defense was much better than the last two seasons in Miami. Much better defense because it's a contract year. He so could be he could easily time. be he could be overseas next year, and he knows that. So he's playing yeah. for a contract. And the Lakers they have Dwight Howard, they have Javale McGee, and they have Anthony Davis, and that's it. If one of those or one or two guys get in foul trouble, JaVale McGee is not going to get you more than no more than 20 to 25 point minutes a game. If Dwight Howard gets in foul trouble and he, he gets a couple of cheap fouls, which Nurkic and uh, Collins can draw from him, they're automatically in trouble. And if LeBron James has to go in and do, do extra, go in and score 38 to 40 points a game and 15 rebounds and have a monster game, that eliminates what uh, Anthony Davis is doing. So the matchups are bad. And listen, Danny Green, the narrative is he's a good player. You're right. Who is he playing opposite of for years? Kawhi Leonard, right? We're good defenders um, playing against Kawhi Leonard. That's how good, great a player he is. When you're playing one of the best defensive players in the league, you're going to look good. Danny Green has not played as well a good a defense as people as Laker fans would like to lead you to believe. And he hasn't so let's be clear on that. Either. He has not shot the ball at the same level that that people and he cannot dribble. We know this. We saw no. it in like team there hasn't been a team that's been confident in him taking more than two dribbles since he came in the NBA. We saw it with Toronto in the finals. He almost threw the finals away because he couldn't dribble. I mean, it was yeah. so uh, yeah, I Portland. And then you you have basically five guys on that roster who could give you 25, 30 points on any given night. And, and that, they always get and they always get hot at the end of the season. This isn't nothing new. They would have this, they'll have a they'll have a, a below average record. And then they say, okay, uh we're in trouble, we're in trouble a little bit. We need to start playing. They run off of six, seven games in a row, get into the playoffs hot, and then they go from there. So this is nothing new. So, Jay Williams saying that on ESPN, uh, Charles Barkley saying it on TNT. This is a pitfall for the Lakers. They're not they're not as dominant, and especially with the layoff and these new players they have to implement for for the postseason. This is a completely different. This is a different squad in a sense. So, this is not a guarantee. And Portland, they, the core players have played with each other 
uh, Lillard, McCollum, Nurkic. Uh, Collins has been around for a couple of years. They played with each other and they trust each other. They know how each other play. They have that chemistry. They love Terry Stotts. That is very, very important, especially this year in the playoffs. And Melo going back to the three is huge. And he's in the best shape since the Denver days under George Carl. This dude could do work. They don't. He does not need to match LeBron James' stats. But if he gets 14 to 16 points a night, the Lakers are in trouble. And he can get to the line. And that's the thing, too, is you put Melo on that low block, there's still not many people in the NBA who can guard him in his footwork. And again, coming off the screens, which Portland loves to run, you give Melo 18, an 18-footer off a screen, it's, but, it's still as smooth a shot as it is in the NBA. It's as smooth a shot as there is in the NBA. So, I, yeah, I think it's – I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the scrimmages starting on Wednesday. Yes. I know you are too, just to at least just to start seeing something yes. and figure it out. Um, I just hope the players stay safe. And that's number one. Um, and I hope that the messaging, I know Dwight is still serious about that. I know other players are. I hope the messaging doesn't get lost in the co-opting of it by corporate interests down there in Orlando because we can already mm-hmm. see it a bit. I think it was, I was really pissed at the NBA. Damn, I didn't really think we was going to go this long, but I don't care. It's my pod. I can do what I want. But I really did not think the NBA did the right thing in choosing the messages that go on jerseys. I wasn't a fan of it in the first place because I think it's something that's easily dismissed. And I also think, again, that it's something that that corporate uh, makes it more corporate, the protests. But for the NBA to decide things that you could not say in the midst of all this and tell players you cannot criticize the police, which is exactly what people are talking about. And Josh Hart talked about this yesterday at the Pelicans press conference, was that He's like, people don't understand what defund the police means. And he said, I exactly. wanted to bring attention to that. And people getting, you know, Zyla Cheatham talked about it too. They said, you know, we want people to understand what these messages are and we can't say certain things. And I think that they're, that that part over these next few weeks, I think the NBA is going to be watched very closely as to how they handle this in separating the players from the movement or keeping them integrated in it because there are a lot of them that wish that they could still be active participants in changing our society. And also with the players too, they're going to have to do their part too. Um, J.R. Smith with his uh, IG live thing, they're going to have to be professional Mm -hmm. because that's going to dilute the message too. Uh, Dwight Howard, we mentioned that before about wearing the mask, not believing in vaccines and being upset because he was on a snitch line, uh, not wearing a mask. And use it in saying, well, we need to put more um, um, attention on Brianna Taylor. Things like that. They're going to have to be disciplined on their part. Play the good basketball. Be professional. Don't complain about the food. Don't complain about the facilities. Do what you have to do. And that just brings more uh, strength to the message of what you're trying to do. Because you can't send the message if you're acting up on the uh, on um, Orlando campus. You just can't do that. So if they take care of what they're supposed to, hopefully, and we got to go day to day because we just don't know. No one knows how this is going to play out on the floor or off and see how it plays out. You think that you think that what would you put your chances of them finishing this right now? 50 50. 
I mean, Florida is man, they're getting record cases almost daily. So to say they're gonna finish this, I mean, all you need is one superstar to catch COVID nineteen inside the bubble, and all hell's gonna break loose, man. It's one. It's it's almost part basketball, part reality show at this point. Part science experiment. Part science experiment. Because we don't know. We yeah. literally have no idea. We're talking about Rudy Gobert. Four months after he contracted it, still saying he's feeling the effects. Yes. We don't know how it moves. We don't know how it moves. We really don't know how it's contracted. The cases are going back up. So we just don't know. And we talk about that. How is and when we talk about how the how the players are going to react to Rudy Gobert? Because he's the he's patient zero. He's the guy that stopped the to stop the NBA season, whether he likes it or not. It may not be. It may be true. It may not. But the way the media works and the way uh, fans look at things, that's just going to be the narrative. That's going to be the reality. That's what he's going to have to live with. And there's rumors going out that he doesn't get along with Donovan Mitchell. So there's a lot of things going on because these are human beings, man. And we don't know the real effects of this of this virus with athletes of this magnitude. Because they keep saying, well, you know, some just because they're in great shape and everything, they can get through this COVID-19 thing. And what I'm hoping is somebody doesn't get severely sick. Or in a case of fatality, is yeah, or fatality, or and with their families, Carl Anthony Towns losing his mother. We don't want that to happen. That's what we don't want to happen. But we're just gonna have to see because I I have to change I have to change my mind frame to analyze because they're not this this is not going to be the high level of basketball that we've been used to up to this point when they were playing up until March. It's not going to be that way. If you're looking for that. Sorry, watch something else because basketball is just that's just common sense. They're not going to be a good team. They're not they're going to play well because they they're, they're world-class basketball players, but they're not going to be at the level that they were leading into the hiatus. It's not going to literally happen. you literally just had your off season. Yes. And you're asking these guys to come back from an off season where they didn't get to train. Uh-huh. That's what you I mean like so yeah, it's I don't the expectations need to be tempered because we probably won't see high quality basketball until late in the playoffs when teams maybe have a rhythm by then, but shooting is going to be at a premium teams with depth have an advantage teams Mm -hmm. that, uh, that are together that, you know, didn't have major changes certainly have the advantage. And then the other thing for me is teams that play defense. Those to me are the four biggest factors to see what goes on in this thing. Do you have, can you play D and then leadership too? Cause I think the mental fatigue of this People think, well, oh, they're staying in Disney World. The mental fatigue of being isolated from your family, of seeing the same people every day. Just because we work together don't mean I won't see you every day. Just because we TVs don't mean I won't be around you 24-7. And I think, again, look, your personal life becomes less personal over three months. The things that you normally do in private, and every person has things that they do in private, your life, the way who you talk to, those things. And we know the nature of young men. Yes. We've already seen women out there saying, I've been invited to the bubble. 
there are going to be these things that can potentially, from the outside, the mental part, be be bigger distractions than just basketball. And I liken it to to, uh, boot camp. Uh, Back in the 90s, uh, I went to boot camp for the United States Coast Guard. You have to have you got to say and make up in your mind that I'm here to win an NBA title. And that's it. And be able to have a routine that is about business. Uh, listen, you're going to miss your woman. You're going to miss your kids. Rob Palenka, uh said in a Zoom, a Zoom conference uh, his, before he left for Orlando, his, his daughter was uh, crying at the dinner table because – she, was, she wasn't going to see her daddy for three months. This is what they're going to have to deal with. Eventually, and all this stuff they're showing on social media about fishing and playing cornhole and pool, playing pool, laying, laying out by the uh, swimming pool and stuff like that, that's going to get old. They're going to get bored. And eventually, they're going to start getting distracted. And the basketball... It's going to be – it's still a job to them. So it's not like, well, you go work out on your game or something like that. No, it doesn't work that way. That's not – we're still dealing with human beings here. And the people that have discipline, and this is going to be on the leadership of the stars, that has the best discipline, has the best um, routines, the ones that are willing to, to sacrifice and say, you know something, if we can get to October – win this title, it was well worth it. That's who the way, who's going to win the title. I mean, it's not going to be about talent or the analysis or the narratives of years past. That's what's going to win it and uh, win it for the eventual champion this year. Bruh, you know, you and I could do this for another two hours if we wanted to. <laughs> I mean, we could. We, we absolutely could. This is, and this is the warning I gave people. We're junkies, man. This is this stuff flows through our veins. And I would do this 24 hours a day if I could just talk about hoops. Um, if I wasn't talking, I'd be playing it. If I wasn't playing it, I'd be watching it. So, you know, <laughs> like, uh, that's why I love when we get together because it's it, it always seems like time flies too fast. Um, tell folks where they can catch you right now, what you're working on. And we, obviously, we're getting ready to get ramped up, man, with these pre- with these exhibitions coming up. And with the games approaching in 10 days, we got 10 yes. days. So, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're about to get back into that rhythm of writing about games, which we have not done in four months. <laughs> well, I'm uh, you can catch me at, uh, at Sport World Order, S-P-O-R-T World Order. My work is on LakeShowLife.com, all Lakers. Uh, listen, if you want honesty and you want Complete analysis and what's going on, not ice cream dreams or fluff or uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James just roll the ball out and they're going to win the NBA title number 17. We're the, we're the site for you. We give you complete analysis of what's going on. And on top of that, we're going to have full coverage of from the other side of the spectrum, the uh, opponents. If the Pelicans get in, uh, get in the playoffs, which the NBA truly wants, because everybody wants to see Zion and they need to make up some money. It's gonna be me and you, David. You know we're gonna we gonna we gonna collaborate all the way through the uh through the uh, playoff series, yep. first round. And really, to be totally honest with you, I think it's a time that we all we really need this. I mean, I understand. I mean, the, we should give a big 
big round of thanks to the players that are really putting it on the line for us. I appreciate it. We all should. We really should because they're human beings too. And all they got to do is contract it, man. And it's just, it could be a tragic situation, which we pray doesn't happen. But getting away from what's going on and something positive going through for the next few months is good for not only me, but probably America as well. That's uh, hard to paint. We're going to have another episode for you tomorrow. You know how we do. Uh, appreciate you for listening. And we'll see you then. Like it don't